Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're on a mission to understand more about how easy or maybe difficult it is to scale up the use of VR and immersive learning in a school. So today on the show, we have Jason Ward. Jason's a high school chemistry teacher, educational technologist, impressively an ed doctoral candidate, also a screenwriter, which I'm sure will come out in today's conversation. <laughs> and he's been working hard to get immersive VR working, going, scaling in his school just outside of Boston. So welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You know, I always want to start with an origin story, and that is what got you interested or excited about using VR in the first place? So, you know, my my history with technology in general goes, you know, all the way back. I grew up in a household with an early adopter for a father. Uh, who worked in the technology industry. Um, so computers and uh, science fiction and all those things have been a part of my life for a long time, which you know brings with it the idea of these virtual worlds. Um, so I think that virtual reality and virtual spaces in general are really fascinating because kind of like books, they give us a chance to create our own worlds that we can visit. But Obviously, VR has a more hands-on and immersive and interactive uh, opportunity now that the technology is getting to a point where it's it's more widely available. Um, and it, it, my journey, I guess, most recently started about seven years ago. Um, I was just looking through some old things I'd written five years ago. Uh, I played a room-scale VR game where you actually carried the computer on your back and you had a a weapon in your hand that you could run around with three or four other people and, you know, shoot zombies and robots, uh, as a team. And it was obviously a lot of fun, but it also really got me excited about this crossover between virtual spaces, virtual reality games and education. And how could we tap into that to give people the chance to explore in a virtual world where everything could be adapted to their needs, even on the fly, which I think is a really, uh, really impressive thing. And I think VR and AR are going to be working their way into just about every aspect of life in the pretty near future if they haven't already. Mm. Yeah. the uh, It's been almost exponential, the growth in the last uh, year or so in regards to that. I'm interested and I'm always super impressed with people who can juggle being a teacher, which we all know is incredibly taxing and challenging with all the hats that we have to wear. But not only do you do obviously an amazing job of that, but you're also pursuing your ed doctorate. So let's unpack that a bit. What are you studying in regards to your ed doctoral degree right now? So the degree is actually a, a doctor of education in educational technology. Um, and it, it will probably come as no surprise to you that my focus is on virtual reality. Um, so trying to combine virtual reality uh, gamification and adaptive learning environments. Um, also, interact, uh, intelligent tutoring system is another name for that. Um, so when I started this doctoral program, which now is 
seven years ago, and I'm defending my dissertation next week. Um, my, I had this idea that we could use all of these tools that were emerging to create a place where, as, as a chemistry teacher, it was amazing to me that we could give the kids a virtual lab with unlimited resources and all the technology that a, a top-end lab had, and we could even make up stuff if we wanted to, um, and let them just kind of have at it, which you can't do, obviously, in the real world because there's safety concerns, there's cost, and there's you know things like disposing of chemicals, and you can't have, for example, a real nuclear reaction in the classroom. Uh, but in a virtual lab, we could do all that. And the environment itself could adapt to each student's needs. So based on their skill level and their demonstration of knowledge, the, the system could ramp up or ramp down the difficulty. It could prompt them with safety tips or, you know, show more or less information on a, on an instrument in a virtual world, for example. Um, so I, along the way, I've been studying uh, for the past seven years games and what that means and how that can be applied to education, virtual worlds and virtual reality uh, and adaptive systems. So my, my project, my dissertation brings all of that together um, to create uh, an environment for learning about chemistry in, in a virtual environment. One of the tough parts about any PhD or doctoral program in education is measurement. You know, humans are, are so unpredictable, you know, they're not like, you know, how a drug might work. So tell me a bit more about how you're measuring outcomes for this, because, it, you know, a pre and post test on a multiple choice just doesn't really cut it when it comes to what the superpowers are for VR. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's actually where I am right now. Um, this this sort of prototype, I, I created a, a prototype environment that I tested with a, a group of students. Um, and so I, I did a combination of a pre and post test of the content and then also a, uh, an experience survey. So to see how they felt about it, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy, what they found frustrating. Uh, and so I looked at, you know, how did they improve? First of all, did they seem to learn anything based on their, their pre and post test? But also, was there any correlation between you know, what they found challenging in the system itself versus how well they performed. So was it, um, you know, were there any links between the game itself, the mechanics and the environment and their performance? And I think, uh, as you said, multiple choice pre-post test is not ideal um, because there's, there's certainly opportunities where they could, you know, guess rightly or wrongly. Um, and I, I think that going forward, you know, the next iteration of this process that I'm going through with this environment uh, is to find more detailed information about what they are learning and what they're not learning. I got some insights into like the types of questions they did well on versus not well on and, and how that might give me some uh, information about what the environment was able to teach them and what they struggled with. Um, but yeah, it is. It's a difficult thing to show that the environment itself is what caused learning. Mm. You know, you and I crossed paths through Twitter, actually, because I saw a post that you put out on Twitter and it caught my eye showing an image of your kids in MetaQuest 2 headsets. And in the Twitter post, you alluded to this VR app that I assume that you designed and built on the topic of chemical equilibrium, which is 
hard to teach. Like uh, I used to teach uh, here in Canada, we have grade 11 and 12 chemistry. And so we call it chem 20 or chem 30. And I taught mostly chem 20, which was, uh, you know, balancing stoichiometric equations and so on and so forth. So teaching that obviously beyond the drill and kill was hard, getting them to deeply understand it. So, you know, first of all, kudos to you for coming up with what I think is important for VR to play a role in education, and that is find opportunities within the curriculum that lend itself to use VR, you know, not just to 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 drill and kill with facts, but, you know, to get into, you know, meatier, deeper thinking on uh, concepts like chemical equilibrium. So is this app that you're alluding to for your dissertation, one that you designed yourself and, you know, unpack that a little bit more for us. How does it play out to learn chemical equal equilibrium? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it is, yeah, this is, this is the research project that I've done for my dissertation. So I, uh, and you know, as you, you know, the, uh, one of the hard parts of, of doing dissertation work is making it important enough, but also focused enough that you're not trying to solve all the world's problems at once. You know, when I, when I first did my proposal, my advisor said, this is like three dissertations. You need to <laughs> drill down a little more and, and pick kind of one thing here. Um, so I ended up looking at chemical equilibrium because it's something that people struggle with. I mean, chemistry in general for a lot of high school kids is, is the toughest class they say um, that they take in science. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you can't see it. You can't put your hands on it um, like you can in physics or biology under a microscope and things like that. So, you know, this is where computers and simulations and VR can help us get, you know, literally and virtually inside this system where, where something's happening that we can't normally see. Um, so I started from scratch and uh, used Unity uh, and their, their XR toolkit. I had to teach myself how to do all this. Um, and the coding, uh, I'm old enough that my original coding experience was, you know, basic text-based, uh, you know, adventures on a TRS-80 um, back in the day. So it was a little bit of a, a learning curve, but figuring out how to get the things that I wanted to show into this environment and, and the the hardest thing for me um, in building this was was simulating a chemical reaction in a, a way that you could see. So um, the environment, the prototype that I ended up building starts out with some sort of basic game mechanics tutorials. Here's how you move. Here's how you open a door. Um, here's how you pick up an object and place it in the right spot. I created little you know, slots for everything to go in to, to, to identify where you wanted to put something. Uh, then they go through a, a tutorial on chemical equilibrium. Here's what a reaction looks like if it goes in one direction. And we have you know, colored spheres bouncing around and colliding with each other. And if they hit a sphere of the right color, two new spheres appear of different colors. Um, that was one of the hardest things to, to make work in this environment was the collision detection, making sure it was the right color, and then creating two new things. That, that, so it looks simultaneous uh, when it's really not. Um, so then they move through and they see, okay, well, what if, you know, the, the blue and red bounce into each other, they turn yellow and green, but then the yellow and green hit each other and they turn back to red and blue. Mm -hmm. That's where we end up with equilibrium because it's going in two directions at once in the same space. Um, and then 
start to introduce, well, what happens if something changes? You know, what if you take out some of those spheres or add more spheres or increase the temperature or, or the volume and things like that? So they move through this environment where they're seeing basically display cases where all these things are happening and they get a, uh, a tutorial on the concepts and then they move into the game itself. And the game itself is, okay, here's a system. What, what could you do if you wanted to create more blue spheres in this system? What are, what are some choices that you could make? Could you add more blue, take out some blue, um, increase the temperature and so on? And so they make selections by placing colored cylinders in the right slots, sort of like a fuse box um, to make it happen. And if they pick the right choice, the door unlocks and opens and they advance. If they make the wrong choices, a different door opens and they move into another room where they kind of get some more feedback and they get some more chances to try that concept. Uh, and so they eventually work their way through this multi-path environment, like an escape room. And then they get to the end and they find out they have a certain score. Um, and then they exit the game if they make it all the way through. Um, so I, I think that was the, you know, that's, that's the prototype. And that's what is, uh, I'm showing in that, that picture that you saw on Twitter is some kids actually using that system. Any aspirations to, to scale this up and commercialize it? Like, what are your thoughts? It sounds like a lot of work, obviously with your screenwriting background, you had, you know, an above average understanding about, you know, storyboarding and the way, like you said, even, you know, even, there's some bad escape rooms out there and there's some good ones and the good ones obviously, you know, lend the learner with just the right amount of difficulty so that they're a challenged, but b not frustrated and can never get out of the room, so to speak. And, you know, sounds like you sort of got this dialed in. Well, I, I would say it still needs a lot of work. Um, you know, the concept I think is, is, right or, or is where I want it to go. Um, but there are things like making it a little more game-like right now, you know, depending on how well you do your, you are on rails a little bit in terms of the game aspect of it, you're moving through one room to the next, to the next. Um, and it's, it's definitely an area where I would like to make it, you know, less learning and more game. Mm -hmm. uh, and you learn from the game and not play a game to learn. It's, you know, as uh, the educational technology and the games go, you want to have that right balance. Um, and so I think making it a little more um, involved, um, putting a little more challenge into uh, being able to identify the right steps to take, or maybe having multiple things at play at the same time so that you have to do essentially a combination lock where you make more of one thing and less of another and increase certain things all at the same time by applying the knowledge that you've gained. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to at some point put this out to the world, um, whether it's commercially or otherwise, um, when it's you know, stable enough. And I think it's um, polished enough, I guess, for another, another uh, word, this really was a, a prototype that I built over the past year. Um, you know, myself is another thing. There, there's certainly uh, other people who I might be able to bring in for things like art and, and um, you know, developing the system, the story, creating a story around this would be another thing. Like you said, um, really building that uh, a plot, uh, so to speak. Uh, I've toyed around with, you know, developing a whole year of chemistry as a course as like a role-playing game. 
and kind of trying to combine all these aspects into one thing. Obviously, it's a huge, uh, a huge undertaking, but, you know, bits and pieces of it are things that I'm trying to put together as I go along. Have you had a chance to use the headsets for other things besides your amazing prototype? Uh, so I've used, I actually haven't used the, the, the Quest, um, but a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, um, I worked with the technology uh, director and the media specialist at my school. Uh, and uh, there's a Lenovo uh, office near our school who came in to talk to the kids in some engineering classes about what they do. And we got together with them and they provided us with a class set of um, their daydream headsets. So a little simpler version, uh, but they're you know proper headsets and they have a point and click controller. Um, and so we got a couple of apps. Um, uh, Mel VR is one uh, that we used. And one of the things that the kids loved about that was, um, you know, one of the Sims was building atoms out of the subatomic particles. And once they figured out that if you put the right or wrong combination together, it became unstable and exploded. Well, that was all they needed to do. Then they were hooked. Um, which again is one of those aspects of, of gaming where the, the, um, the interest in failure, right. Or the, the, the lack of fear of failure, which so many students have nowadays that they're, they're paralyzed, um, that they don't even want to try sometimes because they're worried about not having the right answer. And I think that's a big element that we can, no pun intended, that we can, uh, build into some of these environments where, yeah, go try mess up you know, explore, figure this thing out. And if you, you know, you fail a hundred times, but you get it on the hundred first, you know, that in some cases is even more uh, enriching than getting it right the first time. And maybe you're not a hundred percent sure why you got it right the first time. Yeah. Not only that, but, you know, think about other ways that teachers might teach either building atoms or even building organic compounds, you know, either if you're teaching them, you know, building organic compounds you're probably using the wooden balls and the springs and the, the wooden dowels. Right. Or if you're doing atoms, you're maybe using marshmallows and, and yeah. uh, toothpicks. And, and there's limitations to all that. But in VR, as you said, you can add this element of realism that, you know, isn't just isn't possible with a marshmallow where you're telling the kids they can't eat them. <laughs> right. Which is always the challenge. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, and that, that goes, you know, across other disciplines as well. I think there's so much opportunity for, um, social studies and literature. You can, you can create the world of a story and, and create the characters and interact with them, uh, in ways that, you know, are, isn't really possible in other, in other, uh, situations. I've been thinking about that a lot. Like you're obviously atypical in that, you, you took the, the time and you had the wherewithal to learn, arguably, most people would say a complex program like Unity, whereas most teachers are still, you know, way back in, you know, I use air quotes, the dark ages where they're just trying to understand the efficacy of some of the vendor designed VR apps. So you being an early adopter, how do you convince others of the efficacy of this great ed tech tool? I think, um, you know, one of the things is, is like most of the, the technology that we bring into the classroom, there, there's a bit of a chicken and an egg problem, right? Is there content that the teachers can see how it would work for their class? 
Um, and I mean, that goes with, you know, even professional development that we go to as teachers, you know, half the time it's like, well, the things that they're talking about apply for English teachers, but not really for math or science teachers. Um, and the same is true here. It's being able to show all teachers or any teacher, here's how this could work in their classroom. And I think you need a few of those people. You need a critical mass of, of a cluster of people who are willing to, to try it. Um, but you also have to have the content and that's where, you know, for me, yeah, it, it's, there's a lot of upfront work and a lot of learning involved in trying to create something like this and it's not easy and it's really frustrating. Um, and, and so that is a huge barrier. Um, it's not like, you know, switching from Microsoft Word to Google Docs, right? And even that teachers are going to grumble because it's a change and they're used to doing things a certain way. Um, but getting, getting it in front of teachers, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lucky that I have a couple of sort of champions of technology in my school. And so they're always saying, Hey, you know, you come in, come down to the learning commons. Uh, let's see what we can figure out for a lesson. We want to get this out to people and, and show that we're using it. And we, we can get more money if we can show that we're using it, which of course is another chicken and the egg situation. Um, but I think you have to figure out who are the people who are, are open to using it and then show them how it could work for them, but, you know, without them spending months and years uh, figuring out how it all works because then they're, they're, you know, that's teachers have enough on their plate <laughs> without learning how to use a very completely new technology. Which has actually led me to the notion that, you know, albeit applications like what you developed, which has, you know, way more interactivity, there's, you know, lots of physics involved in the, the 3D environment, you know, maybe the baby step is to allow teachers to start to build simple, low code, no code, drag and drop experiences. Like you said, you know, there's so much that VR can do because we can make the context, the environment, anything. So if, if they're doing a novel study on, you know, a, a fairly popular novel like To Kill a Mockingbird or The Outsiders, you know, maybe we just simply teach like making a, a PowerPoint or a, a Google Doc how to drag and drop some 3D assets in there and then say, let's launch your kids into this environment where uh, it's about the outsiders chapter five, and we're going to have you see this scene in, th in real life. You know, like I said, it's, it's not quite, you know, what a vendor could do or what you can do in unity, but it still enhances the learning experience for kids who are digital natives. And some of them have probably grown up playing world of Warcraft or Minecraft or something where this is now their medium of choice when they want to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it is those baby steps of, Hey, let's, let's do something really simple and, and try it out. And, and obviously stable is another thing. Cause you know, if, if they start using it and it immediately bugs out, um, you know, that's another, it's obviously another barrier that they have to overcome. So finding something that works simply and, and, works every time, I think is a huge, um, a huge benefit to getting people to adopt it. The other uh, kudo I want to give you has to do with trying to, you know, up the ante when it comes to equity. So one of the criticisms that ed tech sort of plays in the world is that a lot of these tools, in, including 
virtual reality headsets can be expensive. And so you took matters in your own hands by posting on Donors Choose to try and get more six degree of freedom or six DOF headsets like the MetaQuest 2s into your classroom. Tell us, you know, how that went or is it still ongoing? You know, I, I saw the Donors Choose and I don't know whether it was, you know, an imposter or not, but I, I actually saw um, the somebody who either called themselves Bill Gates or literally was Bill Gates that said they donated. Oh, yeah, that was... Um... That was a promo that they had on Donors Choose where there was a, a specific uh, window of time where it was 24 or 48 hours um, where Bill Gates, had, had his foundation, had put in some money to match. So any donations that came in over that 24, 48 hours got matched by the Bill Gates Foundation. So, yeah, um, that, that was kind of cool. Yeah, because it does look yeah. like Bill Gates' name on it. Uh, and in fact, one of the really gratifying things with that was uh, I had some former students who, who donated and said, oh, you know. Mr. Ward's always looking for ways to integrate technology. This is a great, great idea. Um, so that, you know, that was really uh, heartwarming for me. Um, and I think it is, it is a challenge because they are so expensive uh, to, to get the, the, the six degree freedom sets uh, right now, especially, you know, they're coming down all the time, but uh, they also then come out with a new one that costs $2,000. Um, you know, so I did get the, the sets for free a couple of years ago. And those were kind of um, proof of concept things where they were, you know, was good for them too, because then they could say, oh, the high school here is using our systems in the classroom. Here are some great pictures of kids using the system. Um, but of course, as technology goes, that we got those systems not long before COVID hit. And by the time we were able to start using that sort of uh, technology again, they weren't being supported anymore. Um, and for the things that I wanted to do with my prototype, they weren't sophisticated enough. Uh, with the interactivity and the ability to actually you know, use your hands and things like that. Uh, it was really more of a point and click, which is, which is great as a start. Um, so I, I did want to up, upgrade a little bit. Uh, the donors choose, I, I did get partway there, but not all the way there in terms of what I wanted to, to achieve. So I did end up, you know, purchasing a couple of headsets myself to use in the classroom. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue looking at, I applied for some grants uh, some of which haven't come through or come out yet, but um, always looking for these ways. And, and the people at my school are, you know, helpful in saying, "Hey, what 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 do you find? Let's go see if we can find some grants to apply for and see what we can get from the budget and things like that." Which is not always much. Um, you know, another another aspect of this is, like you said, with baby steps and simple things, is uh, looking at options like Google Cardboard. Um, you know, that was another thing during COVID. Um, I was playing around with, you know, getting some cardboard sheets and I have a cricket cut, cutter downstairs and could I pre perforate some things to send out to the kids who are working from home and have them put it together with their phone and at least get something like that into their hands. Um, and I think that's another opportunity where, um, you could scale this up for low cost if kids have the devices and that's another, another equity situation. But, um, you know, with so many kids having devices now that would be a way to, to distribute it more widely um, once you get into it. Let's say schools start to ramp up and they do, you know, fast forward to maybe a, a few months or heaven forbid a few years and, you know, they become more ubiquitous, almost like a calculator. I know, uh, you know, my son's now 22, but we, we actually were 
you know, aghast. My wife and I are two teachers that we had to buy our son $150 TI-80 something graphing calculator for his math courses. And, you know, we look back on that and every parent had to do it and, you know, it just happened. And so, you know, maybe there comes a day where the same thing for a VR headset, where it's just something that kids, you know, have to buy. But to get to that point, you know, schools often worry about whether the graphing calculator maybe isn't the best example because it's obviously for math, but the VR headset, how do we ensure that it's not just going to collect dust after, you know, Mr. Ward's class uses it, but then the kid never pulls it out of his or her backpack to use in any of the other classes. How do we do that? Do we have a master class where we teach teachers of the, the efficacy or where, where do we scale here? Yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, that is the big question, right? Because yeah, you could spend all this money and then have it sit on a shelf. Um, and so I think it is uh, the key to finding those handful of people who are willing to try it out at first and, you know, sure, I can speak to science teachers and I, I could go into social, a social studies classroom or a, uh, an English classroom and play around with them with some different stuff. But if you can get those handful of people, maybe in each department or even one in each department who starts to use it and shows the others how it works, um, I think that's a key. Uh, also looking for other allies. Like I said, I have a, a media specialist who's really, really into um, hey, what can we do? Like, what, 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 what can I do to help you to get this out there? Because we have this stuff, we want to make sure it gets used. Um, and, and, uh, you know, a technology director who's the same way of, you know, show me how we can use this and I will find the money to, you know, to pay for a license for an app or things like that. Um, so you have to have those people. Um, but I also think sometimes those people are there and you might not realize it. Um, you know, I had a, a I did a workshop, uh, we had a, a PD boot camp a, a couple of years ago. And so I put up there, Hey, let, let's talk about virtual reality. And a lot of people showed up from all different levels, you know, elementary through high school, and they had lots of questions, but also lots of ideas. And so I think it might be starting with something like that. Like, Hey, let's, let's get together, you know, after this faculty meeting, you know, anybody who's interested in this and just kind of start that conversation and how can we do it and brainstorm um, where you might be able to apply it in the classroom. Yeah. I almost like I remember the days of when teachers, you know, my wife, again, is a teacher. She's not an early adopter like you and I, but she now knows how to create her own Google Doc and she knows sort of different ways that she can share that Google Doc. And so, you know, the Google Doc moment in education was actually quite powerful. You know, when I asked my wife, she's like, Craig, it gave me way more ownership and agency over my classes before, if I wanted, you know, a review assignment, I had to either, you know, buy a, a, a work booklet or I had to, you know, find it online. But now I can create my own review activities for my kids and I can do it quick and easily. And so I, I hope, you know, a day comes where virtual worlds sort of meet the Google Doc moment where a teacher's like, you know, the night before they're like, okay, I, I have to teach, you know, Macbeth. Okay, I, I've got these activities, but then I want to drop them in a virtual world. So I'm going to quickly create that in 30 minutes and we're going to use that. So I think, you know, when the, when the world of teaching is such that 
that's the thought process. It's like, okay, I, I've got this activity I want to do, but then I'm going to plop them in a virtual world, you know, and then we're going to hop out and do something else. Right now, when I talk to a lot of teachers, I think they think that VR is a be all end all. And I don't think it is. I think it's one tool amongst many instructional strategies that we might use to make chemical equilibrium or whatever come alive. Absolutely. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the content obviously is part of that. Um, and like you said, having the tools where someone with little or no, you know, coding experience or, or anything like that has the ability to, to play around, to try things out. Um, and, you know, there, there, there's the levels of, of applying educational technology to, um, to the task where, you, you know, you start by, okay, let's, let's convert a lesson to VR just in, at a very basic level and then start thinking about, well, what are the things in VR that I can't do anywhere else that would enhance this lesson? Um, and then giving them the, the, giving educators the tools to do that, like you said, on the fly, you know, we do that with Google docs or, um, you know, some other, like I love, uh, ed puzzle is one of my favorite mm. apps because I can jump in, I can find a video. I can sometimes find ones that are, that are made already, or I can adapt them or I can just make my own video and throw the questions in there. Um, on anything. And um, I think as we build up, it used to be that, you know, what, 10 years or so ago, it was the same with YouTube. You know, I, I had a, a teaching partner who I shared a, a, you know, conjoining door with who wasn't a tech guy at all and fully admitted it. And once he started to explore YouTube, everything's in there. Like, I don't have <laughs> to create a video. It's all there. I just have to you know, play it and pause it at the right point and, and explain what's going on. But I think, you know, that's the, that sort of momentum thing that we need to get going with VR of, yeah, let's get this stuff out there so people can start using it. And if they can find it and if they have the tools to, to build it themselves or adapt something that's already there, then it becomes the, you know, the Google doc moment. Well said. Jason, I'm mindful of time. Is there anything else that maybe we haven't talked about that's been left sort of unsaid that you think the audience might want to hear or know about as you go through your VR journey? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think, and we've kind of touched on this a couple of times, it is, I'm fully aware that VR is, a, is an educational tool um, and it's used in the service of teaching and learning and not replacing it in any way. Um, so I think that it's really important for people to understand that, you know, you can't just use VR, you know, you have to have a, a, a learning objective at the foundation and you have to have a reason for using it. Otherwise it's just there, um, you know, like any other educational technology that we try to throw into a classroom. Um, but I think that the thing that excites me the most, and I've said it uh, before is that it has the power to, let students learn in environments that meet their needs exactly where they are and to change dynamically uh, based on each individual student and their abilities and their skills and any learning differences they might have and social emotional issues they might have. Um, and I'm really excited even further down the line at, you know, the growth of collaborative environments where, you know, students with headsets in the classroom or in different classrooms or around the world can come into the same you know, virtual lab to, to use my own uh, content area and work together in virtual reality um, and interact and, and help each other or get help from the system on the fly. 
Um, I think that's where, you know, something like a virtual world is, you know, it, it is limitless in every sense of the word. Mm, well said. Bravo. If people want to get a hold of you to either learn more about your app that you're building out as a prototype and then some, or just, you know, some of the great things that you're putting out when it comes to this great tool, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, as, as we found each other, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Jason Ward Tech. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And I'm in the process of revitalizing my, uh, my website, which has been neglected as part of my, uh, my EdD journey. Um, but now I'm getting back into it. And that's uh, jasonward.tech. Okay, I'll put those in the, the show notes too. Listen, Jason, thank you so much for connecting and, yeah. you know, good luck to the Boston Bruins. Hopefully they don't <laughs> beat my Edmonton Oilers, but uh, oh, you never know. Understand. All right. <laughs> so I was glad connecting with you. Yeah, really appreciate you having me. Thanks very much. Awesome.